0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by re- Return Offender, Repeat Offender, um, <laughs> Digby Lee. Digby, welcome back.
1: Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, really ex- excited to be
0: here again. I am, just to give the folks some context, I, I just want to set this talk up a little bit and then I can have you sort of dive into you and your background and what you've been doing the last year. But, you know, I, m- I'm on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. That's what this podcast is about, Ditching Hourly. And and in in my experience the legal space is the sort of that'll be the last bastion of hourly billing in the professions it seems like it was my understanding is it was the first one it was where hourly billing came from in the professions and and it could could be the last one to leave it Uh, so whenever i hear someone doing something innovative around pricing in the legal profession i get super excited because it makes me feel like (laughs) it makes me feel like progress is being made Um, so the last time I had you on, last time Digby came on, we talked about your Frank fees approach and this time around you've taken that even farther and you can tell me how directly related they are, if at all, and are creating a, a SAS for lawyers to price their work instead of billing by the hour. And maybe I've got that wrong and you can correct me, but, um, but, but that's just for the listener. That's what the conversation's about today. So uh, Digby, could you just give folks a little bit of background on who you are and what you do, and then we can talk about uh, Alt-Fee.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I am a lawyer. I have been practicing law for 40 years come this May, and I have done it in a large firm with 100 lawyers. I've done it in a partnership, and I've now got my own firm with about 30 people. And so I've seen a lot over the years and quite a while ago, I decided that the hourly model of billing was was broken for the legal industry on a lot of fronts. Um, I believe it is not um, healthy for uh, the clients and price certainty, and that's an easy one to understand. And There's demand there. But as importantly, or perhaps even more importantly, I think it's really not great for the lawyers and the paralegals and the other staff in the industry. Is because you can only be rewarded by how many hours you put in and you become more of a financial contributor by putting in more hours. And I just felt like a better system was where you're encouraged to create great, great systems, allocate resources properly, project manage. And so I have been on my own personal uh, mission to, to rid our firm of Billion by the Hour, and and now to make it available for the legal industry generally, worldwide.
0: It's very exciting. <laughs> Anything I could do to help that catch on, I'm gonna do it. So um, we if folks want to hear more about how uh, Digby and Friends did their pricing, or do, I suppose you still do, your pricing with the Frank Fee approach?
1: Yeah, Jonathan, why don't I just kind of bring you, uh, create the connection between Frank Fee and Alt Fee, which is the SaaS product and how they fit together. Perfect, yes. Please. So yeah, Frank Fee is a branded name that we created to uh, be really clear to ourselves and our client that when we went away from hourly billing, We were really going away, as we talked about a year ago, jumping into the deep end instead of dipping our toe in the shallow end. And we wanted, we created a name so that it was clear that we were making this fundamental shift. But what we did um, was all we knew how to do, which was we started by creating pricing guidelines and looking at all the different types of projects that we did and then creating factors around them and quantifying them when we could so that we had this. More cost-based tool to price in advance with agreed-upon pricing up front. So that that turned into the launch of Frank Fee in our firm of thirty people back in September of 2020, which is about a year and a half ago. And so when we got together a year ago in February, we we'd been working under Frank Fee for about five months. Um, now, as soon as we launched Frank Fee. Um, knew what was right for the legal industry and knew that technology would help. So my two sons, Scott and Digby, and I, along with developers, have worked on creating a SaaS product um, to, to provide technology to assist. And that that is branded under Altfee, and you can find out about it. I get my plug right now, <laughs> altfeco.com, A L T F E E Co.com. And uh, our web page is up. It's really uh, descriptive. It's been in a good state for probably about the last month or two. And we launched our product for the world on February 8th. So just not even a week ago. So it's a really exciting um, to actually see the baby move along to <laughs> right. birth, if you will. And But we've had it in our firm uh, at Digby Leon Co. now since October. So we've been working under all fee. You know producing frank fee for our clients if you will but using technology now for the last four or five months so we had a good chance to uh, see how the sas product's going to work hmm.
0: fascinating oh okay so uh, i the website looks beautiful i was looking at it um, before we spoke and it makes mention of uh, a term comes up repeatedly called alternative fee arrangements i think yep. and that sounds like something that that doesn't sound like something that you made up is that a trend that's happening
1: oh my goodness yeah it's um it's uh well known in the legal industry i guess well known at least well known to us and so we've taken what we're doing and maybe use some of our terminology but adopted what we think will be understood in the legal industry so alternative fee arrangements are any sort of arrangement which is other than billing by the hour and they're also known as afas and so we talk a lot about that on our website because we think that that terminology will resonate with, um, lawyers in the legal industry.
0: Right. Okay. And, and, uh, so that's gotta be a number of different things. If it's like, if, if it's defined to be not hourly, I imagine there are a number of different ways that people, you know, lawyers in this case would come up with fixed fees of one kind or another.
1: Is that the case? hundred percent. And, uh, and, um, Last time we chatted, Jonathan, we talked a lot about, I called it agreed upon pricing up front, like, you know, agreeing to the price in some sort of way before you start. And I, I still think about it, you know, in those terms. So typical examples of alternative fee arrangements would be a lump sum amount for a scope of work that you're going to do. And that would be the most common. So, you know, you could take um, incorporating a company. Um, you'd there'd be a price, there'd be certain scope of work within that, and you would agree to the price in advance. So lump sum. You also could have more of a subscription based um, a pricing, a periodic uh, period of or of time where you pay a certain amount per month or a certain amount per quarter, and you get a range of services for that. And Another example would be a success fee or a contingency fee where part of your compensation is tied to a result, um, at the end of the day. So those would be fairly, um, frequent, uh, types of AFAs.
0: Okay. And of those, how do you, do you have a sense of how common something like, like lump sum, for example, so like a, a lump sum for incorporating a business or a divorce, or I don't know, you know, you could tell me, but a lump sum for some something that is likely to have a v- relatively fixed scope is that how well does that a, how how well does that model fit like the legal profession? So just ima- imagine that I have not had a lot of experience with lawyers uh, other than you know trial courtroom dramas on TV, <laughs> okay, which seem like you know you always see like uh, Goliath or whatever and the the trial goes on forever and you don't know if you're going to win or lose and you don't know how long it's going to take or how much money you're going to have to spend. That seems like a terrible fit for a lump sum payment. But I imagine that there are lots and lots and lots of things that aren't like that dramatic trial type of, of scenario, like incorporation or maybe writing in, a, you know, I don't know, an SOW or boilerplate or how, how much... Can lawyers bring this into their businesses or or let me put it a different way. Is there a type of legal specialization that lends itself better to something like lump sum?
1: Well, anything that's commodity-like, if you will. In other words, it's very predictable what exactly you're gonna have to do an incorporation would be. Typical real estate, you know, regular residential real estate transactions would fit into that. Um when we started, we probably did fixed fee for 60% of our revenue before we even started just because it would be very consistent what we're going to do. We would price it the same all the time, no matter how long. So we did a lot of work that way. And maybe even 90% of our bills went out that way before Mm. we converted over Mm. the, the, so I think there's lots in the legal industry that fits into that. And there's lots that's being done and already with fixed fees, uh, the challenging, you have alluded to uh, litigation as being a challenging area to do. Uh, fix the upfront, um, you know, complex um, solicitors work like an MA transaction, reacting in the sale of a business or the purchase. Right. That can feel difficult because it's unpredictable. So there's there's a lot of um, techniques that you can bring into play to help do those with agreed upon pricing up front. Uh, one of my um, ones that I like, I I really feel it takes a long time to understand your client for them to understand you and how you're going to work together. And so uh, often we unbundle the services and we do a strategic planning session to start with where we create the plan. And we pick usually a fairly modest price for that first part, because it's all part of the learning process. Mm -hmm. And out of that, we would come up with a plan and for a fixed fee, and then, having gone through that, we would we would go again and look at pricing the remainder of the project. So, as an example, you've got someone that comes into you say I'm, they say I'm interested in selling my business. You would go, okay, let's um, let's spend some time together. Let's understand where you're at, what you're interested in, what you're worried about, and what success would look like. And we can create that plan for you. And this is how the scope will work you know, maybe, you know, this meeting and that meeting. And, and then once having done that, we're in a position where we can, with a lot more certainty, see what the rest of the projects going to look like mm-hmm. and probably price the project uh, to the end.
0: Right. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. It's like a road mapping before a big software build. So uh, yeah, for, you know, my backgrounds in software. So that's the exact same thing.
1: <laughs> Basically, exactly. and, so when- and so, and, you know, trust is built up over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of that is the trust building that you go through and, and getting to know each other. And then a lot of the unpredictability is really taken out of it. And you, and then just kind of to follow down the path. So your first step might be to negotiate an LOI with a prospective purchaser. And so in, in an M&A transaction. So with that, you might scope it by limiting the turns of the agreement, the LOI. In other words, you know, we'll send the draft to you. You'll have a look at it. We'll revise. You have one more look. It's finalized. We then send it to the other side. And then it can go back and forth a couple of times. And, and I, I, Tell my clients I really am only doing that to protect myself against the crazies because mm-hmm. you really don't know sometimes, and I need some limit. I see need some ability to call out that the, the scope has changed, and but I try not to rely on that. I try and build in enough in the pricing that um, that were that I can you know not have to nickel and dime so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you find that uh, in in a scenario where you're not? With with meters not running, you're not billing by the hour. How does that affect the relationship with the client, if at all? And and do they have a tendency to, you know, for lack of a better description, get really chatty since they know they're not paying for it?
1: Uh, um, unbelievably not. Um, I think they become they. It's It's kind of like the more rules you make, which rules are like billing by, you know, every hour, every minute counts. Um, If you take that away, then people have good common sense and they don't want to waste their time either. So I literally can't think of an example where I've had a client that has been too chatty. The real the reason it's so good is actually you now have communication and you, and you don't have clients that are reluctant to phone you or email you and tell you what's on their mind. Um, you just do a way better job. So I, I I think it's just such a better relationship client lawyer.
0: I'm glad to hear that. It's That's my experience as well. Um, but I know it's a fear out there. It's like, well, if they're not paying for every minute, they're just going to hang out with me on the phone it's like I don't you know I don't I don't think your clients really I don't think that they're uh they're excited to like talk to their lawyer or software developer or or designer like f- for an hour for no reason <laughs> you know they've yeah, got a life to lead to like,
1: <laughs> they um they they'll be like always they they want to catch up they want to know how you're doing and I want to know how to, and then we'll go okay this is the things we've got to do today and off we go and they communication is just so much better, and I can you know there's just examples of where you know people are letting you know, and they're not caring, and they're picking up the phone when something important's happening. So, right. um I think it's uh it, you've you've touched on something which is uh, really important to be successful in the um in moving away from billing by the hour, and that's attitude. You have to beat back the attitude of. I need to be paid for every minute I spend. Mm. And you look at it on a grander basis on, you know, like as an example, by building realization, rates, and if you can beat that back um, and you can truly go, oh, that, that file went that way. Unless, you know, I spent more time than I might've thought, or I spent a lot of time, but that's okay. Um, Cause there may be examples where the opposite happens. So um, maybe I just, let you know what's happened on a business level since we converted over to frank Fee. so one of our metrics and we're unlike some firms we actually that have gone to away from hourly billing we still keep track of our time just like we did before probably the detail of our description is is not as precise as it used to be but what that lends itself to is for management purposes, we can see the inputs on the work that we're doing. So, um, and we still reflect that in what we refer to as time cost. So before we started, Jonathan, back in uh, 2020, made the decision March of 2020, if you look at all of 2020, even the first few months of launch of Frank fee, our billing realization rate was high 80s. So 88, 89. And very you know over a good sample uh, size, so we know that that says something. And if you look at Clio's legal trend reports, the national average in the U.S. is 83% for 2020 and 84% for 2021. So we were strong already. And but by the time we got to when we were talking in early 2021, our billing realization rates had started to inch up. And then when we look at the first six months. Of 2021, our billing realization rate, which is, you know, time cost to um, actual billing amount for fees, was up to 92%. And so, and then when we looked at the last six months of 2021, we're at 100%. <clears throat> and now we're at the start of 2022. Uh, January was 112%. So we've created a lot of efficiencies. Um, we've created a lot of, um, I think uh, it's probably helped us on pricing. We, we do use a combination of looking at the market, um, considering our costs, our inputs and what we're going to have to do to do a project. But we also look at value and what we're delivering mm. at the other end. And so that combination has really led us to get more out of the time we put in, um, in terms of the revenue side.
0: So I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but I, I, can you go a little bit deeper into what that calculation is? I mean, it sounds it's trending in a good direction, but I don't understand exactly what you're calculating there. It sounds well, like increased not, profits, basically, but
1: uh, yeah, it's efficiency. I think is the the expression I would use. It's okay. so we look. So if you believe that the hourly rate times the amount of time is some somehow reflects. how much input you put into a file it and it's generally the old system of billing by the hour is basically you get paid on a cost plus basis you look at you know your salary you look at the attributable overhead and then you know the allocated overhead and then you look at a profit margin It if you do all that you create hourly rates around that but uh based on recorded targets so Mm -hmm. i guess i'm in the weeds sorry (laughs) (laughs) It's hard not to get into the weeds, but yeah, but no, if that's you, what I wanted. Yeah, but if you look at the end result on a file when you finish, you look at all the people that worked on it. You multiply the hours they spent by the hourly rate, and you get something called time cost. You then bill that file, um, and you get whatever fee you generate out of that. So you can imagine if you had, you know, um, new lawyers and paralegals working on in a corporation, you decide you're going to bill a thousand dollars. And that we had great systems. You could do that with five hundred dollars worth of time cost, to use an example. Right. yeah, but yet still bill it at a market rate. And so that billing realization rate looks at all the files. and we um and very interestingly, <laughs> to me at least, <laughs> we um we we can see individuals, we can see, and there's a huge range of billing realization rates for individuals. And we also can see project types, so we're able to identify areas that were constant challenges to be a, to be efficient with our time, mm-hmm. and then we're able to uh, maybe de-emphasize them and emphasize other areas. So it really helped us. Um, we also went through a you know looking at the areas of practice that we the projects we took on, and it helped us make better decisions around that too
0: got it okay now is that a big piece of the software so that you can sort of as someone who runs a law firm with 30 people you can kind of slice and dice and identify those things from you know reports or dashboards in the software so that you can see like you said you can call out like geez every time we have um uh you know this kind of a litigation file it it goes horrible it goes horribly like in terms of profitability or you know geez we're really crushing it on these i don't know you know, contract negotiations or we're crushing it on these incorporations, we should get more of those. So that gives you information that you can use to make decisions about the the direction you want to take your firm?
1: Yeah. So no is the answer right now. Um, We focused on just like we did at the firm uh, when we rolled out Frank fee, we focused on the pricing guidelines. So what the tool does is help you build a customized pricing guideline for your, your project areas, uh, just like we got started. Mm-hmm. Um, we still take the data at the end and we and we manipulate it ourselves to get those billing realization rates. Mm-hmm. But to create a SaaS product for that, we'd have to be able to dovetail it into all the different accounting systems that there gotcha. are and there's many. And so we've um, zeroed in on something simple that's usable, that there's value, So, um, but it's all around. Uh, factors and pricing guidelines and knowledge sharing so we also built in the in the uh, learning aspect of it which so there's lots of places for insight for um, update requests in terms of the project guidelines and it works as a collaborative tool within a firm or within even a smaller group within a firm
0: mm, yeah i noticed that on the website so who prices like who's allowed to price is it a a group thing like maybe the team that's going to work on a particular file gets to price it or is is there a person who is uh responsible for pricing everything and then and then people who are working on the project are responsible to i don't know keep that that issue updated or what's the what's the thinking
1: yeah a complete uh, business call on that it's however you you know, you delegate authority within your firm, there'll be some firms that have a pricing officer and a, a guideline in which everything must go to a pricing officer. And our firm, uh, we don't have that um, type of policy. We uh, allow people to use their good uh, judgment discretion. And and they're pretty quick to reach out when they think that there's a fairly significant pricing um, to be done and there's some complexity to it. So I... Tend to be a, quite a resource on those things.
0: Hmm, interesting, cool. So, what's the what's the hope? Is the hope that I mean, we're sort of on the same mission. Like, obviously, you're creating a SaaS product. It was it was clearly a non-trivial investment. You want to make money from it, of course. Um, but this is the this is the first tool I've seen built by lawyers for lawyers to do pricing. Or you know, alternative fee arrangement pricing. I'm familiar with other law firms that have created a SaaS product to maybe um, automate something that they do, like mock trials, or uh, you know, uh, you know, th- sort of like automating th- parts of their job, uh, their activities, the things that they do for their clients. But this is the first time I've heard of uh, of a piece of pricing software. In fact, come to think of it, I can't think of much pricing software for really any different industries.
1: That's yeah, interesting, John. I think we are on uh, the same mission. Um, and, you know, if you don't have like purpose and you don't know what's important to you, then no matter what the economic mission is, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, first and foremost, I just, I see a lot of lawyers leaving the legal industry at a young age. I see the industry is broken. And so I feel so strongly that this is a positive for the legal industry. And I really feel that, when we, if, you know, we're both sitting around here in five years talking, we'll have seen a dramatic shift in the legal industry. I think we're already, you know, seeing a lot. I mean, our traction has been crazy good. Like mm. I'm, I post an article every month on my LinkedIn account and I'm coming up to my eighth. I beg people to disagree with me <laughs> and nobody will disagree. I mean, maybe they don't, maybe they don't want to, but I want to hear why not. You know, um, the the most I ever get is that, um, oh, I just don't think the industry is ever going to change or, right. or I don't want to go. I don't want to bother. And I'm like, it's not that hard. Like, and I got data to prove that it can actually be good for your business. So, you know, it's uh, I the hope is um, our interest is literally worldwide, UK, Australia, New Zealand, U.S., Canada, you know, we're still English speaking at this stage, Mm -hmm. but it's, there's a world. And if you go down um, to Australia, uh, I think they tend to be fairly progressive in Australia. And so you'll find that there's way more of an appetite for alternative fee arrangements down there than Mm -hmm. I think you'd find in North America. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the bubble is here. I think we may have just right place, right time. We'll see. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot of interest and energy as you said, maybe the legal industry is the last bastion. Mm-hmm. Um there's I just I, I really got a great sense just from all the reach out, all the feedback. Um I think we got a lot of people rooting uh for the direction we're going and we've and we've tested it enough to know like we've been in an alt fee now for about 5 months 6 months or something mm-hmm. and it's really crazy like when i i look at our firm and we're obviously we we got a pretty good champion in me in the firm right. but i just i just watch and we got everybody using it and they're all enjoying it they there's a positive like to it and there's a collaborative effect and um it's really it's really actually cool to see it taking hold uh, as much as it is the whole concept.
0: Mm. Yeah, i mean Please, if that domino fell, that would make my life a lot easier for sure. <laughs> are there? So let's talk about objections for a second, though. You said you haven't gotten much pushback. Um, I I can imagine some, and I kind of want to get your take on it. If you just think that no, those aren't those aren't those are myths, uh, or 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 at least you haven't heard them. Um, but I I've heard from some people, and maybe this is overseas, not the U.S., but that there are some. I don't know if they're regulatory or. Uh, maybe the the bar association or something that there's some some requirement of uh, around hourly um, disclosures or something I, i've been told that there there are places where you you have to use hourly based on either the trade association or local regulations have you ever heard of anything like that in in the law space
1: yeah. I don't think you have to, I think the, uh, what you've probably heard about is about something called like justifying your fee at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of factors they look at, including the time expended by you, which is, uh, one of the reasons we, we also, one of the other reasons other than management uh, purposes that we also track time. Okay. So at the end of the day, you, I would say that if you have an agreed upon uh, price, um, and you have agreed upon scope of work that in probably almost any jurisdiction, no matter what time you spend, that's going to be a very important factor mm-hmm. in deciding whether it's a fair fee or not. But there's regulatory oversight of uh, pricing in the legal industry. And so I think that's probably what you're, you've are you read or heard about.
0: Yeah, it's pro- I'm probably conflating uh, the, the time tracking requirement with the billing. That's probably what it was. Um, Another common objection or something I've heard about, you know, in large firms where partners are like hoarding hours, um, I don't exactly understand this, but I I know that there, I have been told by people in the space that there are political dynamics inside of the firm that where some people would be big beneficiaries of, uh, it seems like they would be beneficiaries of hourly in the sense that like, it's a game they have figured out and it benefits them even if it causes trauma for other people in the, in the firm and also for the clients, is that, am I making that up or is that just someone who's not your client or client of the software? You've
1: hit a nail over the head or on the head because it's, it's what people are used to and they they're successful financially in that model. Mm -hmm. So why take a risk and see it get changed? And so you're right when you have a lot of uh, people inputting on a, big decision like that in a large firm, it's difficult to to change the status quo. So I, I don't believe that overall it's not better for the firm if you do change, but I think you have those politics. The interesting thing about our our SAS product, alt fee, is that um we we've already seen it in a mid-sized firm where one person in that firm with his small team has gone onto our um onto alt fee because he, He's And he had the ability to do it because it doesn't take a firm-wide decision to change over. It's just a web, web-based. And so he's using it as a tool for his pricing in his little um, you know, uh, micro environment. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you know, people that want to use it, even in the large firms, and see an advantage of better pricing um, will, uh, will adopt the, uh, the alt-fee model eventually.
0: Oh, cool. So you almost have like, it, that's that's great. It could just sort of be brought in Trojan horse, grassroots, bottom up, kind yeah. of like, you know, like, geez, your team is, you know, I don't know, your profitability is really high or your revenue is really high, but you don't seem
1: to be working around the clock. What gives? Yeah, 100%. And so I think there's lots of people, even in large firms that see the benefit of moving away from hourly billing. It, you got to, if you're working um, seven days a week, 16 hours a day. <laughs> And the only way that you can contribute more and get get paid more is if you work an additional hour a day. It's got to make sense to we stop and think about: is there can I get more efficient? And so once you break that barrier down and you start to incentivize around building systems, mm-hmm. oh, but you know every time we do a new project now, uh, for sure with me and with others as well. The words out of my mouth are can we build the system we've got to build the system like I, I know we're getting the project done. i know that's what's eating at us right now but we've got to build the system and we build the system coming right out of it and i think if we're still in an hourly model it just like oh yeah that's that goes down the list in terms of projects uh precedent building
0: mm. well that, that's a great direction to go next so some of the, some of the toughest pushback I get is from people who run firms, you know, let's say 30 people like yours. What did you find when, um, way, way back when you introduced the concept of not billing by the hour, what did you find in like, from a cultural standpoint, what were the, what were the difficulties? How did you have to change incentives? Cause if the incentive normally in a firm would be whoever puts in the most hours wins you know billable hours wins then and that incentive goes away then what's the new incentive like why not just i don't know take forever like what what's the thing that keeps your employees productive if not this uh requirement to get more billable hours in
1: yeah so uh you asked me exactly the same question last time, and I said it was a working program. <laughs> and I'm going to say a little bit the same, although we're working on something right now, which I think will will tie back in. Um, but one, one thing we have done is um, we have de-emphasized recorded time. So we used to look at recorded time and build uh, billings attributable to individuals. And set goals around that. We've now eliminated setting any goals around recorded time. Mm-hmm. It's all around billing and realization rates. And that's all they hear about. So we've changed the the conversation a bit. But what we haven't done is, is directly tied their compensation to it. Um, but their targets are tied to it, which in some ways does directly tie into compensation.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So some people in the software space, the incentive model is you know, you're, you're assigned a certain amount of stuff to do or not stuff to do. You're, you're essentially, you're essentially assigned a goal, you know, for, for a client. And if, if, and when you're done and it's great, you're done. Like, so the incentive model is like, oh, you only want to work three hours a week. I mean, three days a week or three hours a week, I guess you only want to work three days a week, then, you know, just build some systems to deliver this thing that you're supposed to deliver, uh, very quickly at a high level of quality. And you're off for the rest of the week. You know, I don't know if that would work, um, but it. You know, I see that model in the software space. It's like, it's like when the client's happy, you're done. So figure out how to make the client happy. And if that was your job for this month, and you did it in two weeks, you get two weeks off.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't think we quite have that culture, but we're not far off it because we we don't talk about how many hours you work. We talk about your effectiveness in, and so. Um, people are finding ways to get the job done, if you will, within a normal day, as opposed to an extended day. Yeah. So in our industry, that's like having time off, I suppose. Yes. Right. Yeah. So and yeah. I, that's the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did a calculation and it's interesting, but if I looked at our old billion realization rate of 88, 89%, and I looked at if it was 112 and we showed that more than beyond January, um, what that means is that you get 15 minutes every hour to yourself that you didn't get before. Mm-hmm. That's pretty staggering when you look at it that way. So we all the, one thing we have done is we've, um, as I said, we now build around, not around recorded time, around billing. So um, and we've created a, a system which which a lot of people on our firm are on which we called earned amount. And they get that by hitting their billing targets, not the recorded time targets. I see. Um, and that's the last portion of what their their salary is, um, which allows them to be paid pretty well because it's expensive to live in Vancouver, like a lot of places now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. So billing targets instead. So can you can you describe that? Just make sure everybody understands when you say billing target, this is amount of money that uh, employee Alice is... is her her goal is to bring in this much money. Is that what you mean by billing target?
1: Yeah. And so it's not cash collected quite, but it's uh, bills that go out of the firm. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the easiest thing is let's look at um, uh, uh, that incorporation file. Mm -hmm. And let's say we had a paralegal that recorded um, uh, two hours at, at, at a hundred dollars an hour. And that's, that was $200. And we had a lawyer that was at $250 an hour and they recorded one hour and you added all that up. Then you'd find the time cost one on the lawyer was 250 and on the paralegal was a hundred. And then you prorate the overall fee based on that. And you get fees attributed to you. And so every bill that goes out, your billings are your percentage, if you will, of the overall bill. Mm -hmm. And I do, I mean, we need a a chalkboard or something to, to show, I get the idea. I
0: get the idea, but so it raises from a management standpoint. Um, if let's say, you know, people have monthly goals or how, well, you tell me how, how do you set the goals? Is it a per project or per client engagement? Or is it just monthly in general? Uh, Monthly. monthly. Okay. Yeah.
1: Annualized broken down into months. All
0: right. So then there must be, that must create a when the work is handed out, uh, whoever's handing out the work c- c- could, not that you would, but I'm like, you, you could hand out work in a way that was perceived as unfair to somebody who like, I can't hit my goals with this stuff. You know, they can yeah. promise that they'll work in a certain number of hours that's under their control, but there seem like, how does that work? How does that dynamic work?
1: That's interesting. I guess it's, you know, the reason I've never thought of that or really thought much about it is we have so much work that people are trying to keep work from coming to them as opposed to get more work. So okay. <laughs> nobody's there, sitting there complaining that they're not getting enough work enough. Um, okay. and work always finds this is a, an absolute fact work will find whoever's helpful. It will always find its way there. So if you're helpful, your job, if you're a young lawyer, young paralegal, or you're getting started and you don't have your own book of work, your, your job is to be helpful to the people within the business and you will get work for sure. Guaranteed.
0: Man, that's because great advice. Okay. Yeah. I love that.
1: Stuff done.
0: <laughs> I love that. Very actionable. And, and it's, it's outcome oriented. It's not input oriented so 100%. the helpfulness thing you, you know it, maybe it took you five seconds maybe it took you five days but if you if you become well known as the person who gets the job done you know helps then you're right you're, you're just going to keep getting picked you know it's like put me in coach okay <laughs> you got it you yeah. keep hitting home runs you get <laughs> put in
1: right and you'll and and so don't come to me and complain that you're not getting enough work because it ultimately is really up to you and mm-hmm. Work will find you, it will find you from the external clients and it will find you internally if you're, I like to use the expression helpful, because mm-hmm. that's really saying you're the amount that you contribute is less than the cost around you. So if you have to be babysat by somebody else and you really don't add much value, then you're, you know, get, getting things done, then you're not as helpful.
0: Yeah. It's a perfect word. I love it. hmm Right. And it does address the, the, um, you know, unequal distribution of work. It's kind of like if you're buried and you've got plenty of work to go around and it's automatically going to find its way to the right, you know, I, I guess it's just, that's just a cultural or a management thing that, that would, it's not really, it's not super, super directly related. It's really not related to pricing. I'm trying to, I can't even think of any way that's related to pricing. That's just like good project management or good management in general. It's like distributing the work to the right people you know, people yeah, who are work
1: sounds so, um, foreign to me because I, I just want to get it off my desk. I mean, I've, I've really been like that. Even when I was at a large firm and I was fairly young, I was getting work in and, and, and delegating it up to the senior partners. Cause I said, well, this is something you should do. Mm-hmm. This has got a lot of money involved. Why don't you handle this? Mm-hmm. So I'm I've been getting work off my desk now for pretty much all the <laughs> years. And um I can't get it off my desk fast enough. So I um as people point out to me, sometimes I don't understand everybody and that they may see the world slightly differently than me. And that's that's a fair comment. Um, but my you know, my perspective is that um, you know, you, work will find you if you're helpful, and clients will find you if you're helpful and
0: yeah. And, and if the, and if the, you know, air quotes boss is a good delegator, or it might not even be the boss, but someone is, as long as you have good delegation, then the the tasks are going to land on the right desks on the desks of the people who will be most effective at that thing, all things considered. If you're not, yeah, once you get off the, it is interesting if you think about it though, because when you get off of that, that hourly treadmill, it becomes much more dynamic and complicated, but I, I nuanced it, maybe complicated is the wrong word. It becomes much more nuanced and, and, way more client focused and way more employee focused. It's, it just feels, yeah, right.
1: Yes. Like, I mean, I, I want to say it even stronger than you said it (laughs) because I really, it it is so good in our, in our, uh, we uh, asked uh, a lot of the people on our firm after about a year of being on Frank fee, um, you know, what do you like most about it? And number one was no more conversations with the clients after the file is completed about how we spent our time and what we're billing like none like we 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 sent out a bill it's it's one line we it says something like we did what you asked us to do and this is what you owe us because you that's what you said you'd pay that's <laughs> all we say and like not like it is awful i think to have to justify why I go and talk to some other person about somebody's problem because i want their input Cause I think they're smart and I think they may have ideas and I don't want to have to justify that ever. I mm. want to, you know, I want to be able to take the best route I can possibly imagine to get the best result for my client. So. Yeah. gives you think, so much latitude. Oh, hundred percent to live your life. And you can, <laughs> um, I was going to, I was just thinking about like one of the learnings that I've had in moving away um, to uh, agreed upon pricing upfront is, how much pricing is a skill set? Like it's, uh, you know, and uh, I'm going to give you the plug I gave you last time. And uh, because I use it so often um, and you're asking the, the why question, like you ask the client, why do you need this project done? Then you ask, why do you need it done now? And then lastly, and really powerful in our, in my case, as I say, why do you want us to do it? And usually that creates the value proposition for the client and you wouldn't like, and they start to say all the words themselves yeah. as to why it's important and why they want it done now and why they want you to do it. Usually the you is because so-and-so said you're the best, like I, I really want you to do it. And so they've already created the value proposition for themselves. And, mm-hmm. but, but pricing such a skill set um, using options in pricing, um, you know, and, and being strategic and how you do that. And, and is such like a tool that you're really, I don't know who teaches you that in the practice a lot, but if you give clients options, then what they're going to most often do is compare your options to each other, right. as opposed to your option to the world. Mm-hmm. And so like all of a sudden you've got this conversation this collaboration you can go like hey, do you like to pay a small amount each month but a higher success fee or do you want a lower success fee but you'll pay because you've got lots of cash and um you know we get a little bit of a win here if things go well but you're by and large going to have to pay as you go along but and each client would be different but if you could start that conversation of what fits them and give them different choices it's collaborative it's um a conversation and, uh, yeah, so I think it's um yeah, um pricing is a pricing is a real skill set, and I think I found that you know we didn't if in hindsight could have spent more time on it in the firm trying to do role playing and and so that people would get more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But um, but one of that's the nice thing about the uh, mm-hmm. alt fee is that. Uh, And that's what we're finding is our most of our pricing is being done by paralegals and junior lawyers with my touch at the end, if it's a significant project, Mm. Um, but they have the tool now to have confidence, to set a price and to have all those discussions on their own where I don't even have to be a part of it. And the, the, the product gives you the confidence that you're look you're, you're considering the right things, both from a value perspective and from an input cost perspective.
0: Right. Yeah. You haven't missed something big. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. So geez, uh, I should probably let you go, but is there anything you sh- you could leave folks with maybe, especially for folks that do have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 employees that are, are terrified of making any kind of change, but at the same time, they know they have to do something because every year they're just working more and more and they're losing their weekends and,
1: and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do it for yourself. Do it for your own health. Um, like. And, you know, what's the harm in trying once and what's uh, and seeing how it goes and then maybe trying a second time. I mean, That's really what we did. I mean, we worked hard to create a system to start, but we really very much just tried it once, then did it again and just kept, you know, one of the things that we've done that we haven't talked about today is we built an outlier program uh, to go with our pricing guidelines when we launched Frank Fee. And the outlier program was that data analytics backend. So that we look at all the files where we have strong billing realization results, and those that we have weak, and then we everybody that works on it debriefs in a drop-down box type of way, in which you very quickly are asked like, how did this happen? Do you need to build a new system? You know, do we as our guideline off? Do we you know all those types of questions? Yeah. And um, that you know that's really been uh, that's been a real positive as well. And I just people um just try something different and uh and give it a shot and what bad can really happen when you step back and think about it uh definitely i i don't i can't think of an instance where we've lost any work as a result of it so we're getting the work we're getting more efficient so and we're not losing it and clients love it they actually now phone and say "Digby, can I get the Frank B on this?" like it's, <laughs> I go <laughs> sure <laughs> Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, John, and I really um, uh, applaud you for your your mission in life. I think it's uh, for the people working uh, in the industry, in any industry, it's just so positive. And of course, we share that um, that mission in life.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to to see something so tangible. You know, as a, a tool that people can use in this space, particularly in the legal space to start getting off the, the billable hours, it's, it's really encouraging and I wish you the best of luck.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Jonathan.
0: All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark and you've been listening to Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan, again, do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call. C-A-L-L. That URL again is JonathanStark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.